folks come through here to tell you the Giant Size Team Up Network is proud to announce its latest attempt to branch out into something more successful in podcasting. Introducing the Giant Size Team Up Network's Pig Sticker and Gun Emporium, delivering the latest in worldwide weaponry needs. Our pride and joy of the breaking the panel hand cannon goes to show it doesn't matter if your arguments are valid or even coherent, so long as you're the only one talking with one of these beauties. Our Pokemon Go Podcast Tube Rifle is the latest in varmint-killing technology. Adapted from potato gun technology and firing with over 20,000 PSI, the rounds look just like Pokeballs. Make no mistake, if you go firing this at the wrong target, the only thing you're going to be catching is a lifetime sentence. The Blazing Defender reports our military-grade flamethrower, powerful enough to melt a Funko Pop or crappy comic book artist from 100 yards away in mere seconds. This contraption of death has two guarantees. One, that everyone will be attracted to you, and two, Travis Jones will never be out of a job. In the spirit of Australia's ban on guns, we came up with our toy power boomerang. Made from melted down Star Wars toys, cause God knows no one else is buying them, we came up with our own club style boomerang that we promise 100% does not look like a penis. FTH Beyond is our new party gun. What's a party gun, you might ask? Well, it's a way to instantly decorate any room up to a thousand square feet. It shoots streamers, balloons, noisemakers, and confetti. Well, sometimes anyways. Just like the show, you don't always get the best lineup, so sometimes you'll get the world's largest, stickiest glitter bomb. You're welcome. Geek Versus is our attempt to solve not only a protection problem, but an argument on what's better, swords or bazookas. With the Geek Versus Obliterator, Nobody's wrong, as it is a bazooka that shoots swords. Any intruder finding themselves on the end of this bad boy is going to have a bad time. Lastly, our botched podcast drink cannon is only for seasoned drinking professionals. Load the cartridges with whatever beverage of your choice and let the fun begin. Essentially a combat shotgun, the rounds explode at the back of your throat, allowing for fast consumption. We promise you this gun will have you under the table in no time. Six feet under, that is. So head on over to www.giantsizeteamup.com to purchase all these firearms before the U.S. revokes its right to let law-abiding citizens wield handheld death machines and detect your guns. These days, the comic book owns pop culture. You'll find it all in the panel of your favorite comic book. Us, we're living the comic's life. We're breaking the panel. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we'll start with these emails, and then we'll do some fun headlines, and we'll squeeze some solo in in the back end. That's what Lando says. <laughs> Welcome to Breaking the Panel, where we do all the fun stuff in the week for comic books, fandom, TV, movies, and everything else. I'm the Rock Out Podcasting, Charles McFall. Man Bun Keating has joined us tonight. Hi. And... Stylish as always, Paul Klotz. I'm big on fashion, as you can tell. <laughs> oh, you're wearing a new shirt today. Yeah, you're not wearing the Pokemon shirt today, so you're all right. Or the Maximum Effort shirt. <laughs> or the Pokemon shirt. Or the Pokemon Effort shirt. <laughs> the man who's putting up with our crap right now, special guest, Hammond Chamberlain. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. I didn't screw his name off. I must like him more. I don't know. Good to have you back, Hammond. <laughs> yeah, welcome I back. Appreciate, I appreciate being thought of on occasion. Uh, 
I don't even know how to transition for that. I had, a, I had such horrible jokes to play there. Yeah, I was and like, like yeah. got some nighttime jokes for that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Well, wash your hands and come back. We've got some great emails from you all who have sent them in. This came in about two weeks ago, but we had the Deadpool panel, so I made sure to respond back to the writers of these emails as soon as that came in and say, hey, thanks for this. We'll get to it the week after Deadpool panel. So here we go. Chris Fuentes emailed us. Hey, guys, this is Chris from New York. Loving the show. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, you got to do this in a New York accent, Charles. Yeah. Shit, no. You could do it in a New York accent. It's right there in the notes. You want to hear my horrible no, no, New York it. accent? Yeah, no, do we it. Want to hear yours. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely want the Southern Belle to do the, yeah, the New York Char- accent. I need, I need Charles to break off of New York. Come on! <laughs> I, this is going to be horrible. Y'all forget it can't about it. Be any worse than Chris Wisdom's Aussie That's true. accent. Y'all forget about it. Hey guys, this is Chris from New York. Loving the show. I started catching up last month from the beginning. It's fun to hear your takes on the then hot news. What? This is such so stupid. It's not even that bad. That's what makes this show great. The discussions. That and laughing at McFall. Also, it's hilarious how excited at least one of you are excited for the then upcoming Mummy movie. I can't wait to hear your reactions to its failure and the failure of the Dark Universe Cinematic Universe. There you go. I'm you asked for it. my Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this. Just for the record, Chris, you know I didn't want to do it. Is there? So, uh, yeah, we were kind of. I still actually haven't seen the new Mummy yet. No one has. <laughs> I'm not even sure if Tom Cruise did. Yeah, they made a Mummy. Honestly, I'm gonna watch it. I, I want to watch it. Heard heard so they made a duddy. Oh, mute him. him. <laughs> why, why do we allow this to? You happen? made a duddy <laughs> in your pants, like. I, your past appearances are all flooding back to me now. <laughs> the litany of dad jokes will continue, I'm sure. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, that movie flopping pretty much put a... Who was excited? Knife. Was it me? I think I it was you. I, it yeah. probably was, because I get excited about Because you like the Brendan Fraser ones. Yeah. I mean, Which I, I don't like, blame you yeah. for, because the first one was a lot of fun. I watched and it again with my kids. Good. Good. The third one was crap. Scorpion King was aight. Scorpion King good. was second. Well... Okay, the Mummy Scorpion King was all right. Then there's one with Jet Li that was all right, all right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's looking good these days. Yeah, what happened hey, to that? Let's not bring up thyroid issues. Oh, you no. Know, I just, I, I'm worried about him. I legit worried about Jet. Uh, yeah, so uh, we can talk about that for a second. Um, basically, some pictures were going around the internet of Jet Li, and he looks like he, he went from looking like a middle-aged Asian man to suddenly looking like a 90-year-old Asian man. Oh, yeah. He's, he lost his hair, shaved his head or whatever. Uh, yeah, apparently he's been dealing with a thyroid issue for a number of years, and it's at least outwardly catching up to him. But, I mean, he's still in good health. Like, they, yeah. they his, uh, his PR agency put out, like, you know, he's in decent health. He's been, you know, doing what he has to do. Um, it just, you know, yeah, these kind of things kind of catch up to you sometimes. Honestly, but, um, some of the pictures, and, and, you know, paparazzi take some horrible pictures in there. They're so yeah. horrible. But some of them, even with the shaved head, I mean, when he smiles, that's, I mean, it's Jet Li. You know, oh, wow. That's well, yeah. Jet Li. All right. As so, long yeah. as he's, you know, as long as he feels healthy and happy, I'm not too worried. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yep. yeah Phil. Quit, sh- quit thyroid <laughs> shaming Jet Li, you asshole. I mean, just because he looks like Gollum doesn't mean we can't. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. Come on. <laughs> 
And I love Jet Li. That felt so bad. <laughs> I, I like I I unabashedly love Jet Li's movies from the late '90s and and whatnot. And I feel terrible. I love yeah, I love his stuff. His classic turn with DMX made him a star. Uh, okay, you joke, but I fucking <laughs> love that shit. So, uh, but yeah, that, I was excited that about movie the movie made with Aaliyah before she crashed into the ocean. That was a. Uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo must die. Romeo must die. Romeo Thank must you. Die. I yeah. actually unabashedly like Romeo must die. It's a great so. film. It really is. It's a great '90s film. I'll, I'll just yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great I mean, '90s film. Never seen it. Of course not. <laughs> Expendable. Still, still has the rapper on it, right? Yeah. Expend- hey man. DMX is in it. You so know, yes. if you fucking kept the rapper on yourself as much as you do your movies, you wouldn't have any goddamn kids. Oh my God! What? Wow. Who are you are talking we, to like that? Are we bringing Danny into this? This is you funny. have like fucking twelve kids, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the clan rally I doesn't feel itself. You know what I'm <laughs> no, no, Hammond was not here for that bullshit. Do not taint his appearance with that bullshit. No, no. It's really not his fault. He had them all on ambient. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Back to the emails. So yeah, yeah Chris, Ambien is not a uh, fertility. <laughs> it's not a, a, a contraceptive. Prophylactic. Prophylactic. Yeah, prophylactic. Yeah. Uh, so I was excited for the mummy. It ended up the previews. Just I don't know. The more you saw the previews, the more I was like, "Yeah, I'll get to it." And it just hasn't been got to yet. Everybody else just thought it was going to be crap, and it turned out to be crap. So well, because the honestly they didn't do what you need to do like if you're making universal monster movies you need to lean into the concept of universal monster movies it has to be actually hokey not hokey because it was trying to be a blockbuster action film and it wasn't um the the reason the mummy with brendan Fraser works is because it's an it's an indiana jones style adventure movie that is a little hokey and -hmm. that's what works for it like, they leaned into what Brand, what Brandon Fraser was at the time, and yeah. it worked because he was action and he was funny and he was kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he, he was he was not the the goofy dumb guy as he is in a lot of his films. He was the goofy straight guy. Like I'm serious, but in my seriousness, it comes off kind of mm-hmm. funny. And, and Tom Cruise won't let that happen to himself. Yeah. No. He's all serious all the time with the single Dude, tooth. Uh, Bruce well, Campbell. We should have gotten Bruce Campbell in The Mummy. Tro- Tropic Thunder, though. I'm still to this day amazed. But he's, yeah. got, a cameo, but he's got a cameo. It's not a role. It's a cameo. No, but he's yeah. in that movie a lot. And he goes ham. That showed what he's capable of. Well, you know yeah, I mean? but I, I have to believe, because I just watched this like two weeks ago for the first time, Like, this is the first movie that he's actually been allowed to Mm-hmm. do whatever the hell he wants and you know he has no restraints on on being you know the six foot five action hero yeah well i mean I'm, i think i'm taller than he is yeah, my son is already taller than he is <laughs> <laughs> he, i mean he had the fat suit on and everything too like a lot of people didn't even realize who oh, it yeah. was no not so, so many people were like who was that and i'm like that's tom cruise and they're like no I was if like, they wanted, if they up. wanted the mummy to work, they should have just casted Nathan Fillion in it. Oh it yeah, 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 that'd have been good. And, and and kept and kept the mummy traditional, like the critter. Keep the critter traditional. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I know they, they they did some things to change it up. Obviously, I don't know what because I haven't seen it. But yeah, there's a few things I saw just in the trailer. I went, 
You know that dog that when the dog doesn't know what you're doing, he kind of cocks his head. It's that whole mm. scene with the airplane and it gets ripped out and they fly out of the plane or they crash, and then he's there he's like, "Wait, what's is he weird, the mummy? I don't is, understand." What's weird though is right after that happens, Bane comes in and says, <laughs> "Oh, dude, it's we're on a level right now because I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking I was just gonna say that that whole plane scene from the trailers doesn't work." And I'm trying to think of when it does work. And I was like, well, it worked in Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. but only because it's a comic film. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're willing to suspend your disbelief in a comic film to a certain mm-hmm. extent. To a certain extent, yeah. And I'm not willing to do that in a normal action thriller, which is what The Mummy was trying to be. And if you want to go the supernatural angle, you just build it up differently. Like, mm-hmm. do something like, um, uh, what were those... Uh, Dan Brown books. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Da Vinci. Da Vinci Code. Codes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's no magic in Da Vinci Code, but they build up the symbolism aspect of everything, and it gets very, it gets creepy mm-hmm. because it, there's all this stuff that isn't easily explained, kind of going on, and it's all coming together. If you build it up like that, you have a lot of potential. Yeah. You know? But that's not how they did it. Um, I haven't even seen the movie, and I know that's not how they did it because I've seen some some critiques on it and whatnot. But yeah, uh, I think this kind of puts an, uh, a big old stabby knife right in the idea of doing this Dark Universe thing. Like, well, I they, don't know... they killed the Dark Universe after that, didn't they? Did they officially? I'm... You know what? I won't Google it. It puts it in the tomb. Come on. And it's not coming back from the dead. That's right. I hate Yo. both of you. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> uh, let's move on, though, because uh, we talk about that for a bit. And it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? We'll see what comes of it. I don't think they're going to have a shared universe anymore. Also, it brings to glaring fact, though, that this, this show is a time capsule of the moment in which it's recorded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And going back and listening to it could make fools of all of us. Oh, absolutely. We, we've said some stupid stuff. However, <laughs> some of us say some pretty sage things about certain gigantic Avenger films and then other people on this show have to, you know, bow down and say they're not worthy after they see such films. <laughs> As Phil Keating rolls his eyes at me. I think the uh, universe rolls his eyes. Hey, Phil, how many drinks are you working on over there? Yeah. Oh, right. oh, man. You like four cut things over there. I have a six pack of six different beers and uh, a Coke, a tea, a water. Some Frank's hot in case things get weird. <laughs> you know, I just got to spice it up a little bit. Too late. Um, so we got we got a big old message here. Yeah. From a uh, longtime friend and fan of the show, Agent Fleming from the FTH days. I'm going to read this because it's long and I don't want Charles to get lost. <laughs> got clan rallies to plan. Uh <laughs> <laughs> He's got uh, ABC television shows to find a new network for. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Uh, anyways, Agent Fleming says, I've been wanting to write you about the segment you did about James Cameron's comments a couple weeks ago. But as waiting to see Infinity War first, as I felt this could sway my thoughts one way or another. I finally saw the movie today, 11th May, as I just couldn't avoid spoilers unless I wanted to stay off my phone and computer completely. I agree with that. I had to stay off the internet for like three days until I could see it. Um, As for the movie, I thought it was fun. It was bright and colorful with good fight scenes. With that being said, it did not really do anything new or bring any big surprises to the table. I kind of don't agree with that, Fleming. I'm sorry. See, this is why people don't write in. Because you interrupt their emails to tell them they're wrong. Yep. 
Yeah, well, we promised that. I Wait, wait, can I, can I, is, is this the same person that left the seven minute voicemail for you guys? No, no, that's okay. not Dennis. No, he's the host on the network who should know better. He won't listen to this. Though, he, so. he should know better, but I led him down that path of destruction. So. <laughs> oh, that's because you, you know, you're the, you're the devil on both shoulders. Yeah. Um, really all was just one big fight scene which felt like a little too crowded a movie at times see you got to listen to our panel on it because we didn't agree with you uh we still love you just but, like, read the fucking email no charles i'm gonna do this my way a bear my way my way or the highway, highway. <laughs> uh let's never quote limp biscuit again <laughs> what should have been breaking stuff yeah. Break your fucking it's just one of I those days. <laughs> tired as he said, she said bullshit. Don't start me. I've got a chainsaw. That's right. A motherfucking chainsaw. So come and get it. It's a mask called counterfeit. Can you move the fuck on? <laughs> oh, no, I can't because you two keep talking. What should have been the emotional heart or saddest moment of the end of Act Two came off as a. You see, okay. Um, uh, now I'm looking at editing your email, Fleming. Did you get sure. lost? Did you get no, lost? No, he's getting into spoilers, and we well, it no, has it's why, it's yeah, we're month. far enough out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Look, act two came out as refrigerator tropish. What all right, the big act three finale was a very good PG 13 battle scene, but also felt a bit sanitized for what I was hoping for from a movie that was a climax of 10 years of work. Movie was better than some MCU movies, but not top tier. And that is as far as I want to go in ranking, which is something I am trying to stay away from these days. I give the movie a B minus. Holy shit, Fleming. I would love to see what an A plus looks a like. A B minus out of 10. That's what I, I, I would probably literally die of dehydration from a movie that good. Like just uh, uh, all over the place. Yes, Hannah, go ahead. Okay. He said something that causes me to tap pause he says this is the culmination of ten, this the finale mm-hmm. of 10 years of work it is not it is part one of a finale of 10 years of work they mm. build it wrong and people are getting were, were left shunned because of the way it ended and by the way they build it because they didn't they dropped the part one part two people are mm-hmm. kind of thrown by that i think if they kept the subtitles people would have been happier and his email would have gone up because he realized it's part one of a longer thing could you imagine yeah. if, like, they just suddenly decided to never make another Marvel film? <laughs> then it ended on a <laughs> great note, in my opinion. If they never well, make another one, that's oh, the way man, to go could out. Could you imagine the public's reaction? Like, well, the, the, the last one would be actually a Captain America film with him with a dustpan sweeping all over the place. Just a little uh, dust devil hoovering up. <laughs> Cap's cleaning services. Oh. I think what he's saying, Act Two came off as refrigerator tropish, is what he's trying to say. Like uh, Indiana Jones like and the refrigerator, Jones. yeah, nuclear bomb thing. Okay. Um, I wanted to give some quick thoughts on the movie, as I think it does lend itself to the heart of this letter, namely James Cameron. He has a point about the MCU. It has nothing to do with the level of quality that the MCU puts into their work, but rather the inherent flaw in his style of storytelling. The problem with this massive franchise and shared universe we have is something Stan Lee said to his writers way back in the day. Every comic is someone's first comic. I would put dollars to donuts the same could be said about the MCU movies. This means the stakes for the characters are never incredibly high as they never face danger to the point that the audience thinks they might actually die. It also means that each movie is less of an arc and more of a circle with the status quo relatively unchanged. 
this is why the Elseworlds stories, the what if stories and the multiple Earths of DC happened. Writers wanted to write complete stories with a proper beginning, middle and end, but could only do so much or else the story would get too dense for a new reader to pick up. This can be seen in the comic book industry when the books start turning in on themselves in the 80s and 90s. New readers were not coming on board, so they catered to the hardcore fans who met up in the dark comic book stores that I remember from my youth. <laughs> Stories got darker because the fa- the fanatics were now adults. The continuity got denser until Heroes Reborn, New 52, and the like began to happen. The MCU could conceivably go down that rabbit hole the further it goes. I hope that after ne- next year's finale to this massive endeavor that they pull back to a very small focus with little connections to what came before it start again with a new crop of stories i think the other thing we should be concerned about is that these movies continue and gain bigger and bigger numbers the studios will only make these kind of movies the movie studios are going to be conservative in nature they will bet on the sure thing we will have franchise wannabe franchises and the oscar bait dump at the end of the year as it stands right now would the abyss get made today would Ghostbusters, watching the trailers before Infinity was all comic books or superhero style or something that was obviously being adapted from a series of books in the hopes of making it a franchise. I love the MCU and what Disney has accomplished with the shared universe, but it cannot be the only thing we get from movie studios. I do not believe that Cameron is making his comments from the position of cranky old Hollywood dinosaur, but as someone who loves lots of stories to be told. At least, I hope so. Um, I'm going to finish it before I respond to this. Uh, I would love to see Disney do one-shot movies for these characters like a Logan set in a future time. I saw a headline that Venom will not be part of the MCU, which honestly makes me want to see it more. Uh, Well, that's a... Yeah, we'll get to it. I realize that the current model for the MCU makes Disney a ton of money, but just ticket sales do not make a good movie. People keep buying tickets to those god-awful Transformer movies after all. Sorry, Charles. I hope they take some risks and greenlight some projects that are not the next attempt at a Harry Potter MCU or some teen adventure series. I agree with you guys that these movies are a lot of fun and well done. I just can't live on just these kind of movies anymore than I could just live on tacos every day in my life. Keep up your good work. True believers. Racist. Agent Fleming, FTH retired. Speak for yourself, Fleming. I can live on tacos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just had tacos tonight. Anyways. Um, so we, we talked about this in that episode though. We talked about how, the studios are risk averse. And the, the reality is, l- look at what happened to Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049 was a continuation of an old franchise. It was a cult classic, beloved in, in the science fiction space. People were really hyped when this movie was coming out. And then nobody fucking went to see it. Like, not comparatively. Because the first and- one was boring. That's fair if that's your opinion. I don't hold that opinion, but I get it. I've I've long said that hard hard sci-fi like that isn't for everyone, and it's actually no, and, not. And I, I know I'm in a minority amongst my friends and compatriots when I say I think it's boring. That's right. I think it's incredibly. I think it was incredible set design, uh, story design, mm-hmm. uh, character design, all that stuff was spot on. But it could have been 35 minutes shorter. Sure. And that's why there were multiple edits of it. And I'll, there's actually a fair amount of stuff from that era that were done that way. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. well, I mean, Star Trek, the movie's the same way. Um, Spoilers. But the thing is, people aren't showing up for those movies. Or if they are, they're, they're barely squeaking by in the grand scheme of things. And we're talking about productions that cost tens to hundreds of millions of dollars to put out. It's not like you or I taking on a creative project where maybe we put up a couple hundred bucks and a whole bunch of our time. It's serious, big, big buku money. You know what I mean? And the, the audience aren't showing up 
so I don't know what to say. And like, I understand that we don't want the industry to just make blockbusters, wow. but. So can I, okay. can I bring up something that I, it, this idea that the studios are making lots of money on these tentpole films, that's great. And I, I fully endorse and support and go see these things. Mm-hmm. But because of that, I feel like they should be able to make a few of those films that might not be so huge. They do. And give new people these shots and if they don't do great, then they're not out very much because they've tripled and quadrupled their money on these other tentpoles. Yeah, it's a little movie like called Deadpool. Sure, but that turned around, and now the second one has higher expectations than almost anything else. Well, I'm sorry. After your first kiss was amazing, did you not have higher expectations for the second one? My first kiss wasn't that amazing. Your first kiss wasn't that amazing. No one's first kiss is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that that's a really bad analogy, Charles. Mine and your first kiss was. I amazing. have it on good. I have it on good authority from your wife that none of your kisses are that good. So, Phil, <laughs> Phil, would you like to correct the record here? <laughs> he kisses really tenderly. <laughs> he has the softest lips in the building. <laughs> um, no, I. Well, okay, so I'd like to say folks? something. See what I did there? No, we don't. Shut up, Hammond. That's a <laughs> joke. He, he, that's a joke from the movie The Second Deadpool film. Come on, pay attention. He hasn't seen it yet. I have to <laughs> see it. You're an asshole. Uh, no, I'd like to say this. So, in the 80s, the mid 80s, was when the first, in, uh, in my generation, one of the first uprisings of the blockbuster summer. You had Lethal Weapon, you had Batman, you had uh, Terminator sometime through that era. You had, um, there's another one I can't think of right now. Uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. The Die Hard. All these became major franchises. So they started cranking them out, right? Every two years or so. Because then, you know, I'm out, and I've got an article about this phenomenon here. In a minute, we're going to handle after these emails. But then it was, hey, if Die Hard came out this month, Lethal Weapon... Now, I'm not getting my timeline straight, so don't write me because I don't know what time the fucking movies came you out. You don't get a lot but, of things right. Shut so. up. Die Hard came out one month, and then Lethal Weapon would come out the next month. It wouldn't come out competing weekends or back-to-back. Right. And you'd get maybe... That's why the summer was a blockbuster. Summer, you'd have three or four mm-hmm. great films to go see this summer and a few other things like Ernest Saves Christmas coming out. You know? Sure. That the, the family summer. could get to. Yeah. Uh, and it was. it was. I remember Ernest Scared Stupid was in the summer, too. Um, so you, you, But you always have franchises. You always have world builders. You always have these... James Bond, for fuck's sake. How many goddamn James Bond movies do we need? Well, and, you know, we got a ton of them. I'm just saying... While right now is the era of comics, at one point it was the era of war films with uh, they were soldiers or we were soldiers and a thin red line and and saving private Saving Ryan. Private Ryan. You know, yeah. these- were all about fantasy and magic with Harry Potter and yeah. the, the, the rings. Yeah. It's just cyclical. And right now is the age of comics. And while you'll always have franchise builders, I think you'll still have the other great stuff. <clears throat> yeah, but I what- agree. Yeah, what, what Disney is doing that the other people weren't is they have a 20-year plan for all of this. Mm-hmm. That's true. So my main question that I have is once the Avengers is completed, is that 10-year going to be just as good as the first 10 years? Or are we finally going to hit that fatigue after Avengers 4 is, is come and gone and then it will just start decreasing as each movie comes out? Well, I think... I think personally, as as he does, as uh, Agent Fleming's saying, do you do the the one shots, the one offs, the yeah. the Hawkeye? Well, not necessarily the Hawkeye movie, but the Hawkeye movie. You're getting uh, 
uh, Captain Marvel's coming out. They're talking about you know, rumors and whispers of Miss Marvel in some form or, or another. And so you start taking these characters that you can do. Black Panther broke the mold, right? But and that's... the public perception, Black Panther was a almost no-name character. And mm-hmm. they just put the right people behind it, the right marketing, introduced him in the right film instead of by himself. And then, dude, it, 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 it blew the world up. I mean, it did. But the MCU is built on one shots. Like mm-hmm. the the, the, yeah. the foundation of all yeah. of the MCU are all one shot films, and they were all done in such a way. Like if Ant Man, for example, had completely flopped, if it made no money, they very easily could have left him out of the rest of the continuity, and yeah. they actually kind of largely have. I mean, they're going to loop him back in, but they're doing their own thing with him. Mm-hmm. It's but to circle this back to James Cameron, I just have a hard time taking this criticism from James Cameron, who is the king of the blockbuster and the king of the franchise film. Yeah. I mean, he, what is he known for? He's known for the second alien movie. He's known for Terminator. Aquaman. He, <laughs> That's an entourage. Yeah, Titanic, while not a franchise film, is one of it was one of the highest oh, grossing yeah. films of not all yet. time. There could still be a sequel. There could be. Yeah. Well, technically, it, it, technically. Isn't he doing uh, Avatar 2 and 3 at the same time? Yes, he's yes. doing 2, 3, and 4 right now. He's planning so it all. Thing, and I'll be really honest with you. I don't give two poops about any more Avatar films. I don't care. Oh, I'll watch Unless it. He, it there, no, there's nothing he can do that I haven't seen in a film yet. And as long as there's unobtainium and a magical tree in Fern Gully, I don't care. Yes. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's not that the, the ideas presented – are entirely without merit it's that the guy who's who's shouting it at that time when we talked about this is the biggest hypocrite in the business for being upset with the state of things he's part of what built this mm-hmm. he he is king blockbuster he is king franchise he is looking to make three more films in a franchise that did extraordinarily well and then waited 10 years to even think about releasing another film now it just, could be he's talking separately. James Cameron it could it could theoretically be that my work notwithstanding, I would like to see more stories get told. But with the circumstances at hand, it comes off as don't mess with my movies. I want my movies to get seen too. Well, okay, so James Cameron is filthy rich, right? Mm-hmm. Extraordinarily wealthy, and he's very very influential, right? Yeah, he's he's easily top tier director and producer. He has the clout and the finances to back just about anything he wants. If he finds a project floating around in the wild and says, you know what, this is incredible. This is an interesting story. This needs to happen. He can be the impetus that he's talking about. He is more so than just like Jodie Foster doesn't have that clout. You know, we criticized her for kind of poo pooing on the state of the industry. You know, there's a lot of other people like Jack Black has cracked jokes. I love Jack Black, but he's cracked jokes about how everything superhero moves. And I get it because there's no room for his niche anymore. You know, the the, the, Not com- the smaller comedy. But like those people don't have that kind of clout. They don't have those resources. James Cameron does. He could absolutely. And he has a production company. They could be putting out these movies that he's talking about. So I, I have just a quick question. Is the Fox deal done no. No. no, 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 there's, no, a, there's no. a big kink in the works because Comcast is trying to compete on the bidding. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Disney, uh, there was a report this past week that Disney's putting together investors who are willing to pony up cash to make sure that they can 
they can secure the deal if uh, Fox asks for cash. Yes. Yeah, because did I read that 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 Comcast is ready to make them a cash offer? No, yeah. Comcast is making them a cash they, offer. They're making not them public. a cash offer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So okay, so the Disney deal was structured where it's basically all stock equity. In, in mm-hmm. Disney, so which is not a bad deal. And it's, uh, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but let's say it's like four billion dollars or something like that for this this acquisition. It was fifty billion. Fifty billion dollars. Okay, that was. Uh, the I know there was a B in there, but that's all I really remember. Yeah, it was it, Disney's original offer was like in the forties, and but, then this yeah. was this up the stakes even further. Yeah. And it's mostly and it's, it's mostly stock, if not all stock, equity, whatever you know, and then which is not a bad deal. I mean, Disney's. King and, and that money is going to last you a long time. Um, but then Rupert Murdoch came in with Comcast. And, Wait a second now. I don't yeah. want, I, I picture it was like Colonel Sanders, Rupert Murdoch. I don't want them there boys handling all the Marvel films. And so he comes in with a cash. He's British, offer. by the way. Or yeah, well, Australian, not anymore. Now he's Foghorn Leghorn, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> you remind me of uh, John Goodman from Oh Brother, Where Out Thou. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but so he comes in with he comes in with a higher offer and it's mostly cash. It might be all cash. I don't know, but it's a huge like liquid. It's a big deal. Money. It's, yeah, they're definitely trying to block this deal. So the reason I asked though is because if this goes through after Infinity War, the face of the MCU changes forever. Correct. Because all the X Men enter into the play. Yes. Yeah. If, if if they get Fantastic Four and the X Men back and Deadpool back and you know at that point it leaves only a handful of properties floating in the wild that aren't fully under their control. Even um, even Spider Man's still Sony, but they've worked out that deal where they go every other film or something. Well, right? that's see that's the thing though. Sony's really trying to make the Spider Man side universe work. That's what Venom is trying to do. Um, they're trying to really set up this whole side thing where they can milk it the same way, but they just don't have yeah. the raw talent. Or at least acumen to make it happen. So, like, okay, Spider-Man: Homecoming is Sony, but Marvel had their hands on it, and not they on do, it, in it. They, 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 they were the puppet yeah, masters. Yeah, 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 they had their. So, they Sony were was Kermit, and yeah. Disney was yeah. like, and it was a great film. It was a great film, and you got stuff you would never have gotten, like Tony Stark making the appearance and all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were trying to make all the side stuff work because they can do that on a lower budget, and it's all their money. Type of deal, type of you know, yeah. that's the agreement. Uh, so yeah, uh, symbiote. <laughs> well, so we can kind of continue this conversation because um, this really does tie into what we're talking about with Solo. Um, we're not going to talk about spoilers for Solo here, by the way, because we're Phil and I are going to try to put together a Patreon panel for you folks that are patrons, uh, which will avail- eventually be available to everybody. Um, where we'll do the the normal panel treatment and perhaps we'll uh, have Mr. Hammond along with us for that. If he's interested, uh, but <laughs> he just so, danced in his chair a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so solo just came out this past weekend. And if you listen to some people, it's a complete disaster and it's a flop. Um, if you're a little more middle of the road, reasonable, it's underperforming to expectations. Uh, it's getting compared to Deadpool two's performance from last weekend quite a bit. And yeah, it's a, this is a Star Wars film with a major original trilogy Star Wars character, and people are not turning up to see it on Memorial Day weekend in the states. Because what are they going to see? Infinity War. 
No, no. Really? I think they're seeing Deadpool. They're seeing yeah. Deadpool. Yeah, they, I would say they're seeing the. So I've got an article that will roll into that. Uh, uh, that slow your roll article. We'll talk about in a second once we get past some of this. I know there's some other stuff about this you want to talk about, but that's kind of my point. Is they're seeing these big movies that were already out. That if they're mm-hmm. like my father, and now he did go in the second week to see Infinity War because he didn't want to be spoiled. But other than that, he waits three or four weeks, and if he gets to it, he gets to it. So, hey, Memorial Day weekend, I don't have to do a whole lot of stuff. Let me go see Infinity War. Now, he won't go see Deadpool, but y'all were making the point. It's Deadpool. And then you actually have some competing, competing movies out there that aren't Infinity War and Deadpool. You know, so. Well, it's just like you're getting to the heart of it here, I think. I don't understand why Disney ever thought this was a good idea. This is a, this is a bad weekend for this. They should have done it. They should have given breathing. They knew what Deadpool was going to be after watching the first one. They should have given it three weeks a month at the most, at least, to let Deadpool breathe and die. This probably should have been a midsummer. Deadpool can't release. die. No, I agree. I agree for Paul. <laughs> I agree. See, Karen, you that's, play that's the, the stupid jokes. This is that, the nerdiest. That might be the nerdiest thing Charles has ever said. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the nerdiest joke I've heard in weeks. Uh, uh, I mean, so this, yeah. this weekend is Memorial Day for one, right? Which it, here in the States, because I, I know we have fans from over the waters and everything here in the States. It's the, the first big travel weekend of the summer. This is the weekend where yeah. people want to get out and, and they want to go camping. They want to do barbecues. They want to go to parades and stuff like that. If they're, if they have family jokes, I want to make about, about Charles, but I can't cause I'm afraid. Oh, Jesus. You should be. Um, <laughs> this is a huge holiday weekend for not doing stuff like going to the movies. You know what I mean? Yes. It, this is people people who like to live in the real world and go in the out of doors. This is their weekend. This is the first big weekend of the summer. So it's not a good weekend to position a film to begin with. But then on top of that, this is a week after Deadpool 2. It's just under a month after Infinity War. Infinity War completely destroyed expectations. And Infinity Deadpool War two. overlapped Black Panther. Mm-hmm. You know, which also, I mean, Ugh, to say yeah. that Black Panther destroyed expectations would be the understatement of the millennia. Black Panther wasn't that long ago either. No, I mean, Black that, still in theaters. Right. That's the thing. Like, that's three films stacked up in a couple of months that Disney put out. They should know better. You cannot expect people to show up. And it's the same crowd. Let's be real. People who are going to see comic films are going to go see Star Wars. Yeah. If they're yeah. interested. Plus, so I have a question. How yeah, is go this on. going to how is this going to affect the um uh what they're called? The the animated family that's ripped off of the Fantastic Four. Um Incredibles. 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 Yeah. Because that I opens th- up in two weeks. I it's slightly I to me it's a slightly different crowd. I don't think so. It's it- there's overlap, but it, you're gonna get families and young kids in a way that all of these other films wouldn't necessarily. You know what I mean? They can. Don't get me wrong, but if you go opening weekend to Incredibles 2, I expect you're going to see a shitload of kids, like by dozens. Not only that, but I mean, you couldn't be more right. I'm looking at the schedule for movie releases all the way up to Labor Day. And at the end of August, there is nothing. So I'm curious on why they didn't just throw this on, you know, the second to last week of August or even Labor Day weekend, because there's nothing coming out. 
Exactly. And you have the Wasp coming out July, early part of July, too. So, I mean, you've yeah. Disney really kind of screwed themselves on this. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was a, a spring large film or tentpole maybe was in the spring and then a nice large film in the fall, you know, which was a great time to drop it. There wasn't much competition, gave us something looking forward to uh, and had time to plan to go see it. And then this summer, and that was la- the last couple of summers, or last couple of years, rather. And then this summer is, blah, blah, blah. oh, look, we're going to push Infinity War up to where it overlaps our biggest grossing movie ever at the time. The biggest grossing movie ever for Disney. And we're going to throw Infinity War over on lap it. And then, oh, guess what? Infinity War is only going to be out, what, three, four weeks? And, oh, Solo drops in. We got yeah. shit to do, Disney. Well, they, they clearly shifted oh, yeah. Infinity War up a week to try to lessen this blow. And... Eh, I just don't know what to say because I know that they didn't anticipate Black Panther doing what it did. I think they knew that it would do well, but not this well. And so you have an insane amount of fatigue. Black Panther was huge. Everybody turned, especially because the buzz was so positive. Do you know how many people went to see Black Panther in weeks two and three because they heard how good it was week one and how everybody was talking about it? Same thing with Infinity War. Do you know how many people went to see Infinity War in week two and three? Because everybody was fucking talking yeah. about it. There were people who were dead set on waiting for you know, it to come out on streaming or Blu-ray that still went to go see it because everybody was talking about it. They wanted mm-hmm. to know what the memes were about. They wanted to know what everybody was... You know what I mean? Yeah. But on top of all of that, the other thing with Solo is it was not promoted well. You know, there were a couple of ad spots here or there, but like it did not feel like it got the treatment that a normal Star Wars film does. Even Rogue One felt like it got a ton more, you know, yeah. amp up. And, the, and honestly, those early trailers were meh. They well, look it, good. it's sad too because now Hammond and I are the only ones on the panel who have seen it, um, so, you know, right now. So there's two of us have seen it, two of us haven't. And so we're not going to get into story spoilers, but I will say this. I Everyone over- serves. I'm sorry. I was going to put a joke in there that everybody survives because. <laughs> yeah, right. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, yep, swing and a miss. And Hammond, you can chime in here too in general terms, but like I enjoyed the movie. I had a good time. And I think it's a real damn shame that so many people are down on it for a number of reasons. Part of it, I think, is fatigue, but the other part of it is there's just a lot of people who are, who don't want to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie never had a chance right now, like mm-hmm. to be real. And it's particularly incredible that this film was so watchable and so enjoyable after everything we knew that happened with the directors that they basically got fired and you had to bring Ron Howard. Oh, yeah, Ron Howard had to come polish this. And Ron Howard did a a smash-up job because this people have compared this to uh, Justice League. Actually, one of the fans of the show, Jimbo out there, you'll know, we had this conversation on the drive home from seeing the movie we were talking about how people would compare this to justice league and justice league very notably had Snyder do the initial groundwork. And then Whedon stepped in and cleaned it up. You can tell what was Snyder and what was Whedon throughout that film. Like when you go through, you're like, yep, this is definitely a cleanup thing. And this is, you know, a holdover. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it's a lot better than we could have hoped for, even if it's not it, your favorite. It's a film. new hope. No. <laughs> Hammond, what was your your feedback okay. on it? So I really, really enjoyed this. I forgot that they had the director problems. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some very uh, lorry, canony things that come up that I had no clue about. Yep. And that threw me just because I'm like, I'm watching a solo film and I don't, why do I need to know 
stuff from a PS1 game? And why do I need to know stuff <laughs> <with> cartoons? Um, <laughs> Phil's like, wait, what? <laughs> so it was it was it was that part was weird but overall i thoroughly enjoyed it i think uh childish gambino killed it i think the one guy really kind of embodied what a young han is the mother of dragons did a great job nobody has names anymore <laughs> so then let me ask you this <clears throat> between now and the incredibles which hammond said is in two weeks there's really nothing oceans eight's the only thing i want to see and when does that come out? This weekend, I believe. Okay, so then does that... I'm sorry, I, I completely missed that. So does does Ocean 8 knock Solo out? Or does no. Solo stay high because people are starting to get a little word of mouth and everyone's friends seem to enjoy it? I think it stayed in there. So do you I don't think, think it has a... O- Ocean 8 is not going to do well. No, it's not. I want to see it because I like the Ocean's films and I like the people yeah, who are same. in it. I'm not, it's not going to knock Solo out. It's going to probably be Solo, Oceans 8, and then the next week it'll be uh, Solo, Oceans 8, or I'm sorry, Solo, Infinity War, and Oceans 8. I don't see it having legs. So it well, made eight eighty four this weekend. So what, does that drop down to 42? It's going to be a real slow burn for them, yeah. And I then... Actually- I actually am hoping that word of mouth. So like if anyone who has doubts about this film that is hearing my voice, go see it. Cause it's worth seeing. So it is fun. there's a, there's a real thing with this, right? When you talk about word of mouth is just for reference, not to stir up dirty waters, but I got to go there. Last Jedi, m- huge mixed reviews, right? But Klaus was like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's the best thing I've ever seen. And then it was like, okay, you know, and I watched it. And then we had our panel and I didn't. I agreed with some of what he did, but I didn't fully agree. And what I'm saying is, I got a better idea of what Klotz loves in a film versus what I love and how to gauge. So when I saw him going, well, people are getting on the hate train because somebody likes to hate, but this is like the best one of the best Star Wars stories. This is a great. Film. I'm like, all right, for me, it's going to go bink, drop down to here. Because well, that's not of what I said though. It, well, so what did I you po- say? You were saying you loved. I, it. I posted the you Facebook saying, saying that. I, I was saying that a lot of people seem to be jumping on the bandwagon to just hate anything new Star Wars. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that it's it's a shame because Solo was pretty fucking great, mm-hmm. and it's their loss. And I mean yeah. that. And, and yeah. that's not to say I yeah. like Solo for reasons that are completely antithetical to why I like the Last Jedi. Solo has none of the nuance that the Last Jedi had. Like the stuff that I praised. If you listen to our panel, I talked about the writing and the story choices and stuff, and how I thought they were brave. And it was the kind of stuff that you see out of an art film. And I thought it was insane that we saw it in a mainline Star Wars film. Like I thought that was great. Solo does none of that. Solo is just wow. a. It's an amusement park ride. Right. You but know that, I mean? that, that, but my, my, my point is, I don't know all that. I don't read all that in your post. I just can tell you loved Solo. You enjoyed Solo. I did, and yeah. knowing where you and I fit. I love Transformers. You, you give it the middle finger every chance you get. So, you know, we know I if I go, like hey, if I, you know, but we, but I'm saying the reality is, mm-hmm. the reality is that if I go, hey, I love this, you're going to gauge it by the other things you know I love, just like I mm-hmm. did with you. And so for me, Solo was like, all right, we'll see. And then when you loved it, it seemed like passion, like this is a great film. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, I'm going to get to it. I'm not going to rush it to get to the Patreon sure. panel. Uh, and that's what I'm saying about word of mouth. Some people are going to like, I think my dad's not going to go see it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's your average movie going. No, he's on the light scale of your average Going. Oh, I think Pretty this proud. weekend my wife is and I are going to take both our girls and we're going to see it. 
And it'll be interesting to see what I how it goes for me as a second time. The only problem I had with the Ron Howard stuff is every time uh, we we could tell what Ron Howard worked on because they threw in the Andy Griffith theme. Over- <laughs> I was going to ask if he does voiceovers for his part. <laughs> does he do? That's a better joke. Do you do Andy well, Griffith uh, in the lightsabers? Anyway, whatever. That worked better um, up here. Well, than, you know that brings to mind another thing. Another thing that really hurt this film is it's Han. And people, a lot of people like Han Solo because they like Harrison Ford. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't care about seeing some dude that they don't know who he is play young Han. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I was dubious. On this show, I said I was worried about this. I thought it looked kind of weak. I thought that this guy was kind of disjointed and didn't feel like Han to me. Two minutes into the movie, I was like, no, I'm fine with this. This is good. I'm feeling mm-hmm. it. Yeah, He's different. I, I walked in with the with I, I think I mentioned I don't know if it was to you guys or somebody else. I mean, I said if this is as good or better than Rogue One, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is better than Rogue One. I actually feel like it might be actually better than Jedi. The prequels were better than Rogue One, so Really? Oh yeah, Phil, you're gonna hate this movie, by the way. But we're not, ah, we're not no. gonna talk about why. It is because it's a high quality film with acting. With, with fun robots who, who smart off. Oh, you're talking a, about Leet? Yeah, because there's a droid in it, and he hates droids. God, he so. hates droids. I hate uh, fucking annoying droids. K2SoSo was goddamn terrible. No, Tudyk is never okay, terrible. I didn't like him either, even though I love Alan Tudyk. All right. So a cool, to go along with this, I've got an article here from Forbes called The Black Panther Effect, Why Godzilla 2 Ran Away from Captain Marvel, which is just kind of a stupid, fun title. But... In this, it's talking about just oversaturation, right? Uh, yeah. We're, with everything happening. So um, Time Warner Warner Brothers moved Godzilla King of the Monsters from March 22nd of 2019 to May 31st of 2019. A good two-month, a little over two-month bump there uh, because of other drop-ins. Black Panther didn't just earn rave reviews, Oscar buzz, and domestic total under $700 million. From their Friday to Monday President's Day debut, I'm reading here. It also dinged an entire slate of proverbial biggies lined up for March that was supposed to be the now standard pre-summer blockbuster season. A Red Sparrow only did 48 million. A Wrinkle in Time Disney film should have been huge, right? 97 million. Tomb Raider, based on a game that really, really did well in its reboot, cast well, 56 million. Paul, you and I did the panel for Pacific Rim Uprising, 56 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, did you guys do a good job on that, Rim? No. No, we did not. And, <laughs> but So it's talking about where this is an era where one great film can just suck the air out of the movie room. And, and now we're going to have to, as a, an industry, we need to, and as a movie-going public, we need to rethink this one or two huge movies every month and maybe go back to what we are talking, talking about earlier in the 80s where – you had one big massive movie in one month, and that gave it four months. I mean, four weeks of yeah. There's other stuff around it that's hoping to get some money, and they will. But it's not just just this battle of the Goliaths. Uh, I mean, next year, here's what's on the slate next year already: Glass from M Night Shyamalan, Lego Movie Two, X Men: Dark Phoenix, How to Drain Your Dragon: The Hidden World, Captain Marvel, Shazam. Did you say how to drain your dragon? <laughs> yes, I know you're getting old. I know you, you have prostate issues, so you need to watch this film. 
Uh, and apparently Dumb. another Dr. Doolittle film and Disney's Dumbo and Jordan Peele's Us. All that's coming out in the spring before the summer blockbuster stuff hits. That's a lot of shit to watch. That's competing there's, with each other. There's literally, we've talked about this in the past, with the cost of going to the theater, mm-hmm. with the ticket price, the concessions, all of it, all together, there, and plus the fact that there are a lot of people, with how good TV systems are at home now, and the fact that you can yes. get you know incredibly high-def stuff at, in your home on the cheap, there are so many people who don't want to deal with the crowds, they don't want to deal with the other audience members, let alone the cost, and then the cost is added on top of that, you there's not enough room in the market for all of these films to be blockbusters. Like it just, that's not going to happen. Um, Cause I'm looking at this list and red sparrow is a film I was interested in seeing, but there was nothing that compelled me to think that I had to see it in the theater. I just thought it was going to be a knockoff black widow film, to be honest with you. And I'm fine with that. I want to see that film. Is, yeah. I want to see that film. But I don't necessarily have to see it in the theater. There's right. nothing about it that says I have to see it on the big screen. A Wrinkle in Time, I just wasn't interested. It wasn't something that was that I really cared about. Tomb Raider, I saw the other two Tomb Raiders in the theater. And honestly, if I could have those couple bucks back, even though that was like 15 years ago and was, it wasn't that yeah. expensive. That was a whole I different would, thing, though. It was a whole different thing. And unfortunately, you know, Vikander doesn't have the same star power that Jolie had. You know what I mean? Like... She was. You're right. Jolie, you're right. You're right. I, and I like her. She was great in some of the stuff I've seen her in. Oh, she's Fantastic. great in Tomb Raider. I, I thoroughly enjoyed her in that. I, I, I will see that on iTunes. I have it on my thing. So when we go on a trip or something this some this right. summer, I am buying it on iTunes and I will enjoy it. Enjoy it on my uh, iPad Pro. Right. But in the past, if you didn't have Black Panther and Deadpool and Infinity War all competing for your attention. Maybe you're like, hey, you know what? It's a Saturday afternoon. I want to sneak out of the house with the wife or the kids and have a, a fun time. Tomb Raider looks fun, and it would have made more money, where it's yeah. not now. I mean, even Pacific Rim, which has all the ingredients for a blockbuster. You know, it's a successful franchise. It's got giant robots and aliens. It's you're stuff successful like. very liberally there. Well, the first film did great. Yeah. I, yeah. For a new... <laughs> Well, for a new I'm franchise. I'm sorry, it wasn't seven minutes you long. Like it or not? No, but, I I didn't think it did well enough to get a sequel, let alone to be considered a successful film. I thought it was kind of a flop, personally. Well, the sound of I googling. Hear typing. <laughs> the sound of googling. Four hundred and eleven million U.S. dollars. And what was the budget? How much did it cost to make? I don't recall. Oh my god, the Godzilla movie did more though. The Godzilla movie did five twenty nine. He's the That's king crazy. of the fucking monsters. Of course, he's gonna do more. Yeah, but that movie was horrible. Like people were like, which one? Which one? Matthew Broderick? No, 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 no the, the new one. The, the one with Heisenberg. You shut yeah. your mouth. That was a classic Godzilla film, motherfucker. Oh boy. Oh boy. Hey, let's bring this up. Think about the fact that the Kong movie probably did as well, if not better. That was a classic Kong film, too, asshole. It was good. <sighs> That's the Dark Universe, bitches. That's what you do. Monster film. Kong Skull Island was awesome. The yeah. only reason I didn't see it in theaters is because it was a similar situation to what we're talking about. It came out at a time when there were a bunch of other movies out. I remember that distinctly. I was like, I just don't. Well, I didn't go see Rampage, even though I wanted to in the theater. I interviewed the dude that uh, motion capped uh, the gorilla. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That sounds fun. Would you like to tell us where we can listen to that, Hammond? Be on the playlist. Uh, His name is Jason Lyles. Is there a, 
<laughs> you suck at promotion. Is there a particular Google. episode we can find it on? I don't know. It's Jason Lyle's episode. I don't number my All episodes. Right. Okay, well, there you go. Jason Lyle's. Uh, so, let's do some more fun stuff. <laughs> You're getting me surly here. This is for... Godzilla's <laughs> bullshit. You're so dead to me. No, I've never You're... seen a single Godzilla movie, and I don't care to. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> You're such Phillip. a Trump voter. Wait, wait. Philip, hang on. If you do nothing else before I come on again, see Godzilla versus Megalon. Is that the one with Puff Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> no. That was a soundtrack. That's first. a soundtrack. And him and yeah. the scene because they didn't have any Puff songs Daddy ever. Puff Daddy and Led Zeppelin? No, <laughs> that is not. God, that's a great Godzilla. mashup. Ever, can everybody say it at home? Come with me. I actually unabashedly love that soundtrack. God damn right you do, Klotz. Okay. It's the one that has Jet Jaguar and Megalon, and it's it's a really good 70s Godzilla film. It actually uh, is on our list to watch for a show that I'm working on. So if you want me to come on that show sometime, can, I can share my love <laughs> with you. It has to actually make it to 10 episodes before we actually release it. But yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to it soon and possibly, yes, I will invite you on to talk because about I love me some the 70s era Godzilla stuff, especially Megalon. Yeah, I own it on Blu-ray. That's how much I love it. That's all I, don't I watched know for summer after summer, man. It was TBS when they did the, the movie, the summertime monster movies. God damn, that was awesome. All right, this is for our boys down under uh, because we know how much Frank loves his stuff, uh, his Marvel stuff. Australia is renaming one of their stadiums Marvel Stadium. It is, I don't know how to say this, E-T-I-H-A-D, Etihad Stadium in Melbourne, Australia, will rebrand it and rename itself under the Marvel Stadium name beginning September 1st. So they signed what's up. Weird is gonna, what's weird is it's just going to be about collecting rocks, and they're all going to be, you know. <laughs> it's all just dust everywhere. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's an eight yeah, year deal. This, this sounds like an incredible move because there's so much overlap between comic book fans and normies who watch sports ball. Right. And rugby. And yeah. rugby. And rugby. Or yeah. or foosball. No, uh, no. So no, actually I'm I'm kidding. I mean, obviously Marvel has become successful because it appeals to more than just the nerd, more than just the comic book fan. Uh this is probably a great move. Yeah, and it's a it's an eight year deal with Disney, and it'll include a Marvel focused retail store among other Cody Fingers activations that involve Marvel characters. You know, there's going to be you know Iron Man Night or some bullshit where they hand out Iron mm-hmm. Man bobbleheads and stuff, unless that's like a strictly American thing where we hand out bobbleheads at ball games. Uh, I'm sure they'll do something. But yeah, they uh, hand out gauntlets on Gauntlet Night. Yeah, oh, okay, I'll fucking go for that shit. No, they hand out they hand out like uh, foam gauntlets, like foam gauntlets, and then you yes. have to go around and talk to different uh, vendors to get your stones. And you click the specialty uh-huh. stones from the vendors. Hey, I like what you're saying. You go around and talk to the different vendors and hand them some currency mm-hmm. so that you're filled with a sense of pride and accomplishment as you complete your infinity stone. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I like that. At the end of the match, you can all start snapping and form a click. So. Uh, this is just fun here, geeks. Uh, this, <laughs> this stadium is home to five teams, Essendon, St. Kilda, Western Bulldogs, North Melbourne, and Carlton, as well as the Melbourne Victory, which are apparently the A-League Australian Premier Soccer Division. But Chris Hensworth is a huge fan of the Western Bulldogs, who now play in that stadium. So you know, you know he's going to be all up in that shit, right? 
constantly, which is, is that's just fun. I mean, to me, that's just a fun story there. So there you go, Frank. You get in a Marvel Stadium. Kudos. So I don't hear about no cricket stadiums getting no Marvel names because <laughs> that's not a real sport. So it's Hammond, sir. When you had your children, all of us when we we know we're a kid. Sure, where this is going, Charles. <laughs> sure, how comfortable I am with this line of questioning. Buckle up, baby. It's going to get deep. <laughs> uh, but as there's three parents here, uh, as you know, a child's on the way. You start figuring out names. I'm going to admit, I I jokingly tried to get my wife to name my kid Thor, and she wouldn't go for that. Uh, but I figured to start with the crazy names working out. I actually tried to get uh, Oakland, as his middle name is Castle, for Frank Castle, but uh, she didn't go for that. Uh, but did you consider any of your influence names, rock or comic or otherwise, for your children? No, I did not. I, I stayed pretty traditional and kind of boring. I had a friend of mine who had conned his wife into first name being superhero, second name or middle name being um, 80s rock god. So he had nice. Logan Xavier. Oh, no I'm, sorry. no, I'm sorry. He had Logan Sebastian. Still mm-hmm. good. Still and then good. he had Xavier. Let's see. What was the other one? Something Xavier. And then it was like, like, uh, Oh, Steven or something like that from Steven Piercy and Sebastian Bach. I think he went, I mean, he went X-Men and nice. 80s dirt hair metal with his names. My wife got to basically pick out the first names and I, I helped with the, the middle name. It was just a thing. But I got Alexander for Oakland's middle name for Lex Luthor and for Alexander mm-hmm. the Great. Uh, my daughter, her middle name is James and mm-hmm. it's for James Hetfield and actually somebody that influenced my life. But these Marvel superhero baby names are now almost. I have a baby too, Charles. Just yeah, saying. Yeah, we don't care. Okay. Yeah, but you're still named after ha- Iron I, Fist, and that's I just. I have fun. one. I actually, I have a superhero name that. Really? I, yes, I do. Hit me, man. I uh, I tried to convince Suzanne that we were going to name him Wade Wilson Keating. That would have been off. awesome, man. And she told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> uh, yep. And, and then so uh, instead you went with the Fist of Cumlin. That's right. Daniel Joseph, yeah. Destroyer of World. <laughs> uh, I, I actually threw in Cloud from Final Fantasy at one point. That didn't go over well either. Uh, so these are real kids that were named after Marvel superheroes. Girls named Natasha topped the 2017 most popular baby list. There could be worse ones. True. Uh, of course, after the Godfather in the 70s, there's Fredo's and Michael's running around. But in the Marvel era, there are six kids, according to this, six, named Hawkeye. Not Clint, not Barton, Hawkeye in 2017. Oh. So here's the thing. They could also, their parents could be MASH fans. <laughs> His sister's name Klinger. <laughs> uh, so Natasha was was very popular. Uh, no, no, I don't, my sister Hot Lips. I don't think it's fair to to point at Natasha and say that's a Marvel name. It, it, well, no, okay, they just, do make it clear the that Bluinkle name. Come on, yeah, they do say Natasha was popular before, but it grew in popularity. They do make that clarification here that it just grew in popularity. Wade. After Deadpool, Parker for Spider-Man. Spider-Girls had, there was one, over almost 1,500 girls named Parker after Spider-Man. 
Mm. According to this article. So this is this is what some ninety six unlucky babies were named Loki after two thousand and twelve's Avengers. Sixty and all of those children were birthed because of Tom Hiddleston. Sixty three girls were named Valkyrie, and one hundred twenty eight children were named Pepper after Iron Man's fiance. Because I like this. At least they didn't name her Pots. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God! Right. You got to think about how. Pepper, you're a Pepper. So I mean, that's a real thing with parenting. Is my wife would come up with a name. I was like, okay, how can I make this into a joke? And see what mm-hmm. high school is going to be like for this kid. And there's a couple <laughs> yeah. that were like that. No better parenting than setting your child up for yeah. horrible torture through yeah. their we, adolescence. At one point, we thought Xavier Ray would was be a good one. And then my mother-in-law, who's an x-ray tech, said, oh, just call him x-ray or Xbox. We're like, nope, that name's out instantly. We actually, we actually had a cat named Oliver. And we actually really liked the name Olivia. But we realized that if we did that, the girl would think that she'd been named after the cat, and we could not do that to her. <laughs> That's fair. If we have another one, I'm going to probably push for Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> Wario! I think Wario is too far of a stretch. Maybe yeah. like a Luigi. Yeah, because Luigi is totally okay. not going to stand No, no, no. Out Here's like how that. you fall. Here's how you make it fly. Louie is his first name or her first name, and then something with a G, depending on the boy or girl, so it'd be Louis G, but then you get what you want, right? No, that makes him sound like they're going to be a rapper. Hey, I'm Louis G. What up, yo? I mean, Phil, would you hate that? No, Childish no. I, that, money? Would, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, okay, so guys, everybody gets one shot at this. What is the, what do you think the worst possible name you can name a kid from the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, male or female? It, let's go with male. It doesn't say specifically, but let's go with male. Go on, Paul. I got it. I got it. Mr. or Mrs. Child Killmonger. (laughs) That would be bad. That would be bad. Uh, Man. MODOK. Okay, stick to the main. Well, uh, no, MODOK's not been in the films, really. So stick to the main recognizable characters or or companies or films or whatever. Oh, we have to stick oh. to Malekith. Malekith would okay. be terrible. That'd be terrible. People would be like, "What? The, who the fuck are you?" Hella, like, Hella would be bad. You got one, Phil? Another one? Dazzler. <laughs> That's not a mainline film. Yeah, it is in my eyes. Dick brains. Eleven kids were named Drax, and fifty children. It says kids, so you got to imagine it's a boy and a girl mixture in there. Because it didn't say 50 boys. It says 50 kids were straight up named Marvel. So there you go. <laughs> That's Well, I saw that headline. I, knew, I was like, I knew oh, a kid growing up named Marvel, but they called it Marvel instead. So it kind of made <laughs> They changed the emphasis on That's, the wrong syllable. Is that like, That's very Joe Durte of them. Yeah. yeah. Is that yeah, like a regular? Uh, That's even nerdier than just naming a Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marvel. That, that's, that's a deep cut at that point. <laughs> all right on that note we're gonna take a quick break and play some hopefully interesting things in the middle then we'll be back in just a minute and we're back hopefully you got something enjoyable to tide you over while you waited we've got some awesome cool things here and some sad news and i'm gonna let clots kind of run the back in here see which which order you want to go in sir yeah so um uh, a really sad thing happened last week. Uh, it actually happened on Thursday, right before we did 
our uh, FTH Beyond show for Marvel Strike Force. And that is that uh, we got news that John Bain, also known as Total Biscuit, passed away at 33 after uh, a several year long struggle with cancer. And uh, it, it, Total Biscuit, you know, was kind of a divisive character in in gaming in the gaming industry uh but for for the people at home he was a games critic who had a successful youtube and twitch career and you know basically helped pioneer a lot of the way you know online content is done on those mediums at least in regards to how video game content is generally done. Um, one of the early pioneers of the modern form of that, some, but one of the first people to really tighten up and just put out continuously good content. Um, somebody who was always a honest, often brutally honest reviewer of what they were looking at. Um, they would call, you know, developers and publishers out on their nonsense. Uh, he was very consumer you know, he's a very strong consumer advocate, um, always pointing out the kind of shitty things that the industry would do um, that took advantage of the customers that without offering them very much in return. Uh, but yeah, he passed away. And so I talked about it to, to some length on the show, on the FTH show, um, because he was a personal early inspiration for me and getting into doing this kind of stuff. He, he was one of the people that kind of gave me the idea that I wanted to do the kind of stuff that we do on this show. However, that's not really what I brought this to the table to talk about. It's, it's a real damn shame. And if you're a fan of his work and you didn't hear, I'm sorry to break the news to you. Um, if you're not, I suggest go check out his what the fuck is series on YouTube. It's fantastic. Um, it goes as far back as I think like 2011, 2012. So there's, you know, better part of a decade worth of content out there for you to consume. Uh, he's been on the TGS slash uh, co-optitude podcast for years as well. That's pretty great. Um, he's really influential in the industry though, for, for, you know, people who make content for about video games online. Uh, he's helped a lot of people get started. Uh, Charles, you know, uh, I've brought, I've brought up uh, boogie two nine eight eight in the yep, past. Yep. Uh, I actually just saw him live stream the other night where he talked about it. And one of the things he told a story about how he started doing YouTube videos about YouTube drama, like with online personalities and covering that stuff. And he didn't feel so great about it, but it was getting a ton of clicks. And, you know, so he was basically making a bunch of money because he was getting all these eyes on it and it was generating all this traffic and everything, but he didn't feel so great about it. And apparently TB hit him up on Skype and was like, Hey man, I just want to let you know that like, the, I, I'm not the only person who, who has this opinion, but basically we just don't feel like that content's good for you or good for your career or good for the future of your channel. And basically just said, you know, like he gave him it, he gave it, gave him the feedback raw. He was like, it's going to get you. Yeah. It's, he's like, it's going to get you clicks and make you some money in the short term, but you're going to make it difficult for other people to want to work with you in the future. And you're going to attract the kind of audience that you don't really want to have. And so he talked about how that helped him make his decision to stop doing that content and to focus on doing what he had been doing all along, which is better overall for his business and everything that he's doing. I thought that was a great story. There's lots of other stories like that out there. So, however, at the same time, there was some pretty interesting drama that happened in the hours after uh, Total Biscuits uh, passing away had been announced. And that is a couple of people from the games industry 
decided to dance on his grave on Twitter. What? Uh, The big two that people saw was uh, David Crooks, a programmer at BioWare slash EA, or formerly BioWare, uh, maybe formerly EA, we're not so sure. And uh, also Mike Jungbluff, who was a senior animator at BioWare slash EA. And they both, uh, David Crooks basically, and I'm going to read a little bit from his tweet here. um, He goes, weird. The world just felt a little bit better sometime around an hour, hour and a half ago. Come on, Maybe man. it was those new running shoes I got for my run home. And he follows up with, oh, wait, I know. It's because Total Biscuit died. Hey, everyone, wow. watch this. I know it's rude to piss on someone's grave, but these axes aren't going to grind themselves. And he attaches a picture of a bunch of axes. Holy cow. He Why? goes on to say... He goes on to say, how about the time that he was a center point of not one, but two major games I worked on, dishing out a plethora of shitty, quote unquote, criticism that was less than useful and didn't help anyone are still some of his most viewed videos. And he shows a screenshot of Total You Biscuit didn't like it because you made shit and he called it shit. Well, and that's really what this boils down to. Now, Mike Jungbluff, he basically supported that, like, you shouldn't get mad at people who are uh, who are happy that you know, John Bain is dead. And so both of these guys got a lot of heat and they both set their Twitters to private pretty quickly. Well, yeah. And it's just bad, bad. Oh yeah. man. And you know, people were like, I'm not going to buy any EA Bioware games anytime soon. Uh, People were asking like tweeting at EA Bioware. They were like, are you just gonna, are you cool with this? Cause I'm not, you know what I mean? And basically a lot of people paid attention and didn't really care for that. Now, I'm going to say this because we, we, on this show, we, for a long time have been an advocate for it's fair to criticize something and be honest in your criticism. It's fair to point shit out for being shit. It's not fair to go after people who work on these projects. It's not fair to go at, you know, and talk about them. There's a human aspect to it, right? It's not fair to attack the people. And that is what really upset me about this personally is that these guys are like, fuck this guy because he did content that hurt me professionally because the games we put out were less than ideal, yeah. basically. And yeah. I get that, you know, people who work for a video game company, like any large project, they're not responsible for every decision. You know, they're not responsible for what the executives decide to do. They're not responsible for what marketing and advertising decide to do. You know, if a game releases and it has like loot boxes or whatever, it's not a programmer or an animator's fault that that happened. Somebody made that decision. Somebody else got assigned that task and it got added to the game that you've been working on for several years. So I get that, you know, somebody like Total Biscuit, who does a lot of criticism, lobs it at games fairly or not. But can, can cause a lot of trouble for you professionally. But and the real question is, did he call you out by name and like this guy no. ruined this whole EA game? Fuck him. You know, that's yeah, yeah that's the key difference. And the, the other thing is Total Biscuit died from cancer after a very public battle with it for a number of years at 33. So when you tweet out this hate, are you actually getting the guy that you hate? Or are you getting his family and his friends and his fans and shitting all over them in their time of mourning, you know, within, within hours of it happening? You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't see the point in it. Right. Like what, what was his end game? 
And where do, where did he think this was going to go? Like, what uh, what good does he, this do him to to publicly try to embarrass the reputation of someone who literally passed away an hour before these were put out? And the the, the the world community is grieving. I mean, they're openly on Twitter and, and stuff yeah. grieving. I just I, I wonder if his if he was planning to look for new employment in a completely different industry because uh, that might be the outcome. Right. Well, you know, I think it was, um, if I get the name wrong, I apologize, but I think it was like Bam Majera of Jackass fame died in a car mm-hmm. wreck and instantly. No, Bam didn't die. It was Bam. Ryan Dunn, his Sorry, best friend. Ryan. No, that's fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's been a while. But uh, mm-hmm. immediately somebody got on Twitter famous and was like making jokes like, uh, that's one less Jackass to worry about. It's what you get when you run around doing stupid shit. I think shit it was Ebert. Time. Ebert? Was it Ebert? Yeah, I think so. Who's, what uh, you, who's Ebert? What are you talking about? Roger Ebert? Yep. Oh, you, I thought it was the, somebody else that was more recognizable than Roger that's, Ebert. I, I feel, why would that even be on Roger Ebert's radar? Yeah. But, I mean, somebody did it, and it was like, the, the, and even Johnny Knoxville just were like, that's in bad taste, man. Too soon. What's, what's it was Ebert. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just don't see the point. And like, there are people that I don't like in like, for example, okay. A lot of people hate Zack Snyder, right. Or at least dislike his work. I think I, it's just Chris. We, <laughs> we talked about, you know, some of our issues with his work and we talked about some of our issues with the attitude he's presented at times and how he's responded to, you know, the community and, and fan feedback and everything. But we've never sat here and been like, He's a horrible person. I hope he dies. Or when he had the family tragedy, all we did is express human right. consideration for the family tragedy. Yes. Because well, well, there needs to be a line drawn between the people in the work. I mean, there are lots of people yes. who I like as people, like I work with and like as people, but I can't stand working with them because I don't like the way they work. Mm-hmm. And like- that goes... Okay. That goes in lots of different realms. It goes when I worked in theater. There are people who, when I worked in theater, who I loved hanging out with after a show, but I would never pick them to be my crew to save my life because I knew they kind of sucked at it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Never... I, I personally attacked two different directors on this show in the last <laughs> six months. But so. you didn't, though. You attacked their work. Yeah, you didn't... Uh, I think I attacked James Cameron pretty hard. <laughs> Did you tweet at him directly and be like, I hope you die of cancer? Oh, well, you don't know because you're not on Twitter. So <laughs> I am on Twitter, but uh, not really. No, uh, of course not. Now, in fairness, because if anybody knows anything about TB, they might write into the show and say, TB actually quite famously tweeted something like that to somebody a, a number of years ago. It was a while ago um, where basically he told them on Twitter, I hope you die of cancer. And he walked it back and he was like, I was really upset and that was really fucked up. And it doesn't, you know, make it okay to have said that. And I want to get that out there. But Total Biscuit's the kind of guy who was like, you know, I'm not perfect. Lots of people aren't, most people aren't perfect. We make mistakes. You have to own them and, and move forward. And so like, you know, that's a, that's a thing. But like when somebody's dead, actually dead, they can't defend themselves anymore, and your your words fall on no ears other than those that could only be hurt by it because you're trying to hurt everybody that's around him. And so I just yeah. thought that was really shitty. 
Yeah. I, I think that the idea though, that um, everybody makes mistakes and as podcasters, we say things pretty off the cuff and sometimes we regret them later when we hear them back. I get, I've done that. <laughs> sure. And it's how we, it's how we respond to that when people call us on it, that kind of defines who we are and kind of defines uh, how we mature and grow and how we think about what we say. And I think that, that the ability to make mistakes and move on, that's what ju- that's how what we're judged on is how we recover from mistakes. Not the, the fact we made mistakes. Yeah. yeah. This one time when uh, on a show, I said that signs was better than close encounters of the third kind. So <laughs> you haven't walked that back. I, I hope you got, I hope, I hope you got ridiculed a lot. Uh, it hasn't come out yet. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Although we know you haven't walked it back at all. Oh, I have, man. I was like, oh boy, that was You were you were a little punch drunk in that moment, that huh? That was stupid. It was a pretty good rant you were on that day. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, so that's that's the thing. I agree with you, Hammond. You know, it's we can always hold each other accountable. And if if these people really wanted to say, Hey, listen, from people who work in this industry, Total Biscuit said and did some stuff that was really fucked up to us and, and it hurt us professionally. Anything like that. If you want to critique the critiquer, I'm for it. But don't do it within hours of his death. Don't take, you know, glee out of his pathing or passing, not pathing, uh, out of his pathing from He's on the war path. Out of his death from a horrific disease. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, that just at a young age too. I mean, this guy was 33. He's going to be 34 in a couple months. Um, he leaves behind a wife and an adopted son, uh, stepson, and just like it's shitty, you know. And he leaves around. He leaves behind hundreds of people in the content, you know, the new media industry, who he either gave a shot to, influenced you know, helped out when they needed. Like uh, there are tons of stories from people who were like, yeah, he gave me advice. He gave me advice or uh, told, put me in contact with people to let me achieve what I want to achieve. He gave me genuine feedback, like that kind of stuff. If you want to critique that man, by all means, I mean, that was his life. He was brutally honest about his opinions and his critique. And he, I think he would have taken it. Just don't do it within hours of his death and do it constructively, you know? And as someone who's a content creator too, you might have to look back at that content and be honest and say, that might not have been the best. He might've been onto something and I was proud of the work I did, but I can kind of, maybe there's a point to what he did. Yeah. You you can be gracious about it. You don't have to be a jackass. Agreed. Yeah. So Paul, you're a little bit closer than I am on this. Um, so excuse my ignorance, but has either David or Mike come out with a statement since this happened last they- week? Yes. Or has, uh, has EA addressed this publicly at all? Yep. Yes, okay. they have. Okay, so Casey Hudson, who is the head of uh, BioWare, he released a statement um, the, the day after, on the 26th. He said, I was extremely disappointed to find out about the comments on the passing of John Bain, Total Biscuit, from someone who pre- was previously part of BioWare. Let me be clear that they don't represent BioWare's views, EA's, or my own. Our condolences go out to John and his family. Now, that's a pretty standard PR response, but from the head of the studio, that's the kind of thing that the public wanted to see. They wanted to right. see it addressed and acknowledged right away. Both of those people have since, uh, both David Crook and Mike Jungbluth, have released statements on Twitter. However, 
they both sound like like they both read exactly like they were written by a PR department. Um, they do not seem genuine. They seemed like they basically they both basically seemed like they were cowed. I, I feel like at least one of them was probably fired because uh, David Crooks's status on his Twitter has changed a little bit. So it's complicated. And, yeah, it says complicated now. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, this is particularly like so. The, the Mike Jungbluth is a lead animator. You're probably pretty important if you're a lead an, lead animator. You know what I mean? That's not a easy gap to fill per se yeah uh the other guy was a programmer and i don't know if he was you know a lead programmer or anything like that but if he was just middle rung or bottom tier just a grunt uh, i mean ea bioware is going to be like see ya you know what i mean like why would you do that see ya goodbye even Um, you know well even at the top of your game you say something can get you cut yeah look at look at roseanne well that's the next topic on our docket is yeah look at uh look at what roseanne did just a couple days ago, um, you know, she tweeted some some stuff that was construed as being racist. I agree with that assessment, but I could see how other people maybe don't see it the same way. Yeah, three I, out of the four panelists on the show agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is adding her to the newsletter. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> For yeah. the people that only listen to the podcast and don't watch the video, what you can't see is the wall of tiki torches behind Charles. Yes, the wall with the wall with the uh, target receipt just, still on them. Yeah, just tiki torches <laughs> all over the place. So yeah, uh, Roseanne tweeted some racist stuff, and then ABC straight canceled her show and pulled it off Hulu. Oh wow! I didn't know that they pulled it yeah, off. Yeah, they pulled it off Hulu too. Well, that That's, sucks. I wanted to see the end of it, to be honest, because the work up until the tweet. Shut the fuck up, Phil. <laughs> I have appreciated uh, the commentary and the comedy of that this sound, season. You sound like someone who reads Mein Kampf because you're just, oh, you just you just want to see his perspective. Hey, hey, Charles, reach behind you and grab your MAGA hat. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Go, go on, Charles. That might be a thing that has to happen I'm about, for Dragon I'm about Con. the Twitter. I'm about to text Ibit and say, you need to fire that fucking asshole on your show <laughs> send him back to think geek uh yeah so abc acted very swiftly in regards to this like very quickly within and two to three hours yeah, oh, yeah. that's yeah. huge by the way like that you know a lot of abc it was Iger himself yeah that that's uh i think i know some people are gonna argue that she should be able to have reviews or whatever but uh, not for that corporation. If it were, well, fun, yeah. she could apologize and maybe move on. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm yeah, not. Being, no, I know. Yeah, but your your ABC, which is owned by Disney, and therefore you cannot make those kind of statements and not have any kind of serious repercussions. Yeah, right. Too big of a brand, too dangerous of a, of a, a path to walk with that brand. Now, I will say uh, I do have a lot of sympathy for the other cast and crew that work on Roseanne because. Honestly, this has got to suck for all of them, especially the cast that kind of came out of relative, you know, recent obscurity, like a lot of, yeah, huh? relative retirement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of, a lot of the people who were on that cast didn't, weren't working actively, or at least if they were, it was very low profile. Um, You know, so it sucks in that regards for those people, because, you know, hundreds of people are going to be put out of work all of a sudden because she had to pop off on Twitter. Um, but I do applaud personally applaud ABC for taking swift action when somebody says something that's out of line. However, I will say this. Um, 
and some people have pointed this out, her racist views, whether you agree with that they're racist or not, she's been saying the same sort of things for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she has said them on social media. Like the time she dressed up as Hitler and was sticking cookies in the oven. (laughs) That's horrible. I didn't even know about that. I had no Mm -hmm. idea about that. I'm sure Charles knew, but I I mean, well, it's he's, you can't see it, but over by cookie monster, there's a picture of it. (laughs) Do not Uh, defame cookie monster. Yeah. I'll take your shit. Do not defame Cookie, oh, well, he's, cookie, he's cookie Monster. Charlie only takes cookies out of the oven. Yeah, but he also has that Charlie Chaplin mustache, also known as the you know the Hitler stash, the Rock God mustache. <laughs> you guys. Um, yeah, so that's 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 pretty big news and uh, a so real I, interesting development. I know you said that they're out of work, but I, I am a little bit curious on their contractual status. Uh, like, are they still going to get paid even though they're not producing episodes anymore? They might get paid something, but they're yeah. definitely not going to get full rate. I'm sure. No, no, you know you're I mean? right. And what? obvious, you know, that's the other thing is for the actors, at least some stink is probably going to sit on them. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, also it's very early and, and you never know, but we've, we've come into habit of other outlets picking up a show and continue it going. Um, oh, they should totally put it on Fox News right before Fox. Well, News. no, no. I'm saying if you you can dump Roseanne and you can just have Dan, you know, have John Goodman run the shit, or or for a horrible car accident or something. Yeah, or he just you know he gets she gets she gets beat up at a at a rally. What what would you like, Charles? How would you like this to end? No, I think what they did was fine. It just needs to go away, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I, I say unfortunately because you're right. She's always had that crass sense of humor. You remember when she did the uh, the play? Nah, what's the song? The National, National Anthem. anthem. She National, did that's National, what it's called, Charles. National Anthem. I've had a few yinglings, my friend, and it's <laughs> it's getting to me. But yeah, well, she screwed that up, and America revolted, and booed and horrible and it's like it's just and she came out and apologized and america went yeah okay whatever if looking if look in the chat i put a link to the pictures um yeah. i'll have to look at that uh, uh but what to have it end you know I, I saw this i saw stuff going off on social media yesterday and so i looked it up as like oh well that happened and immediately my first thought was why are we surprised yeah this is the kind of shit she's been pulling for decades uh not saying it's right or wrong not justifying it not you know i'm not not standing behind it and for the the abc to say within hours say you know the show's done we're we're off it was the number one rated show on that network it was going gangbusters but i love the precedent that's being set to be honest going it doesn't matter how much money you're making us money doesn't excuse shitty behavior and they gave her leeway. She talked crap about um, Blackish. She talked crap about Fresh Off the Boat. She they let her have her leeway about those things, but they didn't. They drew the line, and she didn't stick with it. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, apologies don't matter in our society. I mean, I'm not saying apologies should matter, but she apologized immediately, and you know, bad humor, and then took it off of Instagram. But some things, or Twitter, rather, you know, get off of Twitter and close her account, whatever. But you you should this is what classes are he's telling me right read the room you should know what's going on and while part of your humor is to piss people her humor is to piss people off intentionally you definitely t- 
took it too far. There was no well, way to just. Well, and also, it. it goes both ways. Look what happened to Kathy Griffith with the 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 the, 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 the Trump head picture. Yep. I mean, yeah. it goes both ways. It slices and both. The, there, there are plenty of people who are liberal who yeah. said that was too much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that, that that's a dangerous level of criticism, not criticism, but um, symbolism. And, you know, it's not a joke anymore at that point. It's not biting satire. Now you're basically inciting violence. Uh, so what Roseanne actually tweeted was about former Obama aide Valerie Jarrett saying Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby. She looks like Muslim. Blah, blah, blah. Right. She looks like so. And the that picture is, that was picked was a very unflattering picture of her. But it and, looked a lot like the one that was road put, but put next to Roseanne. I mean, they had a similar smile and look and <laughs> it was a weird uh, conglomeration as far as the pictures go. And I think Roseanne probably in her misconception of how the world works now was thinking, hey, this is like the 80s and 90s when I was on TV and I was big and I could do stupid or shit. And they, people buddy, know it's stupid buddy, shit. It's my humor. My buddy Trump gets away with this all the time, so I should be able to. Yeah, yeah maybe. Well, I mean, that is something, without getting into politics, because that's not what we do on this show, that is a common response. I've seen a lot of people on the right and left have been like, our president says this all the time. Yeah. He's still our president. Um, now, to this is kind of honestly related to what we're talking about ahead, with this dude. here. Um, I noticed that there was news going around this past week that one of the um, Asheville uh, protesters, one of the you know basically white nationalists who was in the front of those pictures that got plastered everywhere on the internet and and in publications, actually committed suicide. And so you know basically one of these white nationalist dudes had so many negative repercussions pile up after getting outed from those photos that and people have said that there's not a ton of information out there that's super verifiable but basically people have said he probably lost his job his relationship probably broke up stuff like that um my response to that is i saw people celebrating that he did that and that kind of broke my heart and because this ties into the total biscuit thing this even ties into roseanne um I'm not someone who likes to celebrate somebody's death like that. Mm -mm. You know, like I just don't agree with that at all. I, I've I've always maintained that you, if you disagree with somebody, whether it be about something that's stupid and fun, like we're talking about movies or TV shows, or if you're talking about something really serious like ideological views, you should. I feel like you should always hope that you know that person can still be a good person, even if they don't always you know align with your idea of a good person um and that sometimes because if if we all are held accountable for everything we've ever said or done none of us are innocent none of us get out of this alive you know what i mean yeah like it, it, we all go in front of the firing squad for something stupid we've said or done at some point in our life signs I, is better than close encounters of <laughs> right yeah i mean whew. Ooh. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I just bring that up because like, I want to point out that there is consequences out there for people who do this kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, I feel like Roseanne's career is probably done unless Fox News wants to have her on a bunch because they probably will. Which is but, also sad that somebody would lean into it and ask her to do more shit instead of letting her. Sure. Listen, but, I, mean, I, don't know. I mean, the same shit happened to Gilbert Godfrey. 
you know, know when yeah, the tsunamis the, the tsunamis and i'm like my thing was well, Affleck also, was right to fire him but why are we surprised that's exactly his sense of humor yeah. he so, also he got it caught heat when he told the uh the told a joke about 911 mm-hmm. that's right yeah that's true and so i mean he's he's not a of he's not a, a a stranger to catching heat for what he says. And I think a lot of comedians um, aren't strangers to that. I just think now that society is far more uh, aware and I don't know, sensitive, sensitive kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I think it's hard to be a comedian nowadays because when you're a comedian, you're, you're poking fun at things that people hold true. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the, look at the whole hubbub with a poo. Yeah. Um, it's, for years, it went unnoticed, and now all of a sudden, it's a thing. And mm-hmm. are they correct that it's a thing? Should it have been a thing? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, but it's hard to be. That's, that's an interesting point, too. We talked about that a few weeks ago when it first kind of hit headlines. The thing about that situation is a lot of people were really more dis- more than just being disappointed in the fact that Apu had been characterized the way he had been for years, decades even, mm-hmm. was that the way the Simpsons responded to that where they basically mocked and ridiculed the extreme end of identity politics. And people were like, Whoa, dude, that's not, you're leaning into it now. And like, you're trying to ridicule your, your criticizers. And that's like, that's a bad look right or wrong. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the thing is it's like, it's, it's tough. It is tough. It's tough for stand up in particular right now. You know what I mean? Like they, I've heard lots of comedians talk about it. Um, trying to think of some names right now but um i could see one guy's face but i can't remember his name anyways it doesn't matter some of them have spoken about that and but i think if you're if you're a stand-up for example and you're up on stage or you're doing a special or something dave Chappelle ran into that right dave Chappelle had Mm -hmm. that huge contract with netflix for these stand-up specials got paid a mountain of money to do them he does them and then people are like you know dave's still funny but some of what he said was a little bit troubling you know what i mean especially some of the comments he made in regards to lgbtq type stuff Mm -hmm. and you know it's the context is we can talk about how you know the african-american community struggles with stuff like homosexuality they still haven't really as a community as a whole have really found a way to embrace it and there's there's a lot of you know deep-seated social unrest in that regards but he just, it's part of, you know, and he kind of came out and said, he was like, man, that's just the way I talk. Like, this is the way I've always talked. This is the shit I've been always, always been saying, you know, I, I haven't changed anything about myself. Right. And, you know, it's the same thing with Roseanne. She hasn't, she's been saying stuff like this for years. She's been controversial forever. You know, it's, I'm actually kind of amazed that ABC even decided to do something like this. You know what I mean? Well, the only time she really wasn't controversial was when she showed up in the Nightmare on Elm Street film. Was she actually in a Nightmare on Elm Street? Mm-hmm. She was. Mm-hmm. Okay. She had a cameo at the beginning of like five. Really? Yeah. She and her husband, Tom Arnold. Never seen it. Nah, yeah, I've actually never seen it. <laughs> Phil, Phil's never seen anything. I, I do own those, but I've never seen them. Now, here's what I found interesting to all of this, is that there were people on both sides of the political fence, you know, who said, hey, you know, on our show, this is this basically everybody's saying this is sad. Uh, as a yeah. human being, it's sad that you did it. Not sad that she got fired, but sad that you did it. Because on a show, while I don't agree with your views, you're actually funny, and there's some things you said that made me laugh on the show. It was a good show is what people on both sides were saying. 
thing. Mm-hmm. I can disagree or agree, but it's entertaining. Shut up, Wario. Um, oh, but well, everybody, Archie, Bun- yeah, Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker was, oh, my gosh. You know, he, would never, he would never work in today's climate. No, not at all. And, you know, it, you, you don't have to look at that character and the things that were said on that show and be like, yeah, I agree with what he said for it to right. still be. I mean, as bad as that character, as detestable as that character's views are, especially now by our modern context, at the time, that show brought a lot of attention to those, you know, brought conversation yeah. about those kind of issues. You know what I mean? It's been praised for that. You know what I mean? That, and it's in its own way, if Roseanne is doing stuff like that on her show, even if she secretly is a huge fucking racist, you know what I mean? She hates everyone who's not white. If on the show she's portraying a character that has those beliefs, then we can look at it as a show and we can look at it as the art and the performance that it is and critique that yeah, and that attitude. And she can be separated from it. But when you put it on your own Twitter with no context, you just come across as a, you know, a shitty person. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the whole thing. But we, we should probably move on because we've kind of beaten this to death. Um, I got a couple of little headlines here, some exciting stuff in gaming that doesn't involve criticism. Uh, <laughs> Fallout had spoiled a couple of days ago that something, something interesting and tasty was coming. And in the past 24 hours, it's been announced that uh, Fallout 76 is a game that is going to be and it is going to come out. And we're probably going to hear a lot more about it at E3 in a few weeks. So is it going to be set in 1776 or is it going to feature Soldier 76? No, it's uh, going to be Vault 76, which is supposed to uh, open much sooner than the other vaults in the Fallout series have. So, so is, it like, is that like Hangar 18? I don't know anything about cool. Fallout. Fallout, basically, the, uh, the, the basic gist of the, the franchise is it's post-apocalyptic. It's, after, um, it's an alternate version of history where during the 50s, instead of having the the time of peace and prosperity that we're used to, we had a huge nuclear war that wiped out most of the population and a bunch of people had retreated to these vaults, which are fallout shelters. You know what I mean? And uh, the other games have all had to do with vaults that opened and people climbed out of them about 200 years after that war. So a lot of the radiation and stuff had kind of faded to a point where it was, deal, you know, you could deal with it and stuff. And they would go out into the world, into the wasteland, as they call it, and try to find your way. Uh, this one is supposed to take place much sooner after that war. And sources are saying there's a bunch of unnamed sources who have inside knowledge on the uh, project are saying that this is more than likely going to be an online survival game in the vein of like rust or arc or something like that you're gonna, you're gonna start naked with your wiener out something like that you're probably gonna start in a jumpsuit but yeah uh you're gonna basically it's it's gonna be the kind of thing where you go out into a multiplayer environment you gather materials and stuff there's probably gonna be building and all that kind of stuff going on <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, so it, I'm excited about that. Phil and I were talking about this a little bit. Um, it doesn't. Wait. They're, they're basically definitely saying it's not another mainline game, which is why it's not called Fallout 5. It's probably not going to be narratively driven like fall, the other Fallouts have been. It's probably going to be mostly focused on multiplayer interactions and stuff and building and gathering and stuff like it's that. It's Fortnite Fallout Edition. Something like that. Do, Prob- do you think that they're going to give us a city or probably not? 
since it's not a a traditional Fallout RPG. Well, the teaser trailer had um, "Take Me Home" yeah. as the theme song, so it could Call "Take Me Home." No, uh, "Take Me Home" Country Roads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it could be. I, I forget where Vault Seventy Six is supposed to be geographically. I don't know. It's probably going to be like the wilderness or something. I would imagine, or at least something semi. If if it's anything like Rust, for example, it'll be a set map. It'll have you know I'll basically have accommodation for X number of players at any given time, and there'll probably be different regions on the map that have different you know geographical elements to it. So there'll probably be some city area, for example. Okay, so Vault Seventy Six is inside the Citadel, the headquarters of the Brotherhood of Steel, and staging for the final mission of the main story. Okay. It's in West Virginia. West Virginia, right. Which is why Take Me Home all of a sudden makes sense. Right. Yep. Yep. So there you go. Uh, it, a lot of people are super stoked about this. Uh, stay tuned, you know, to us and to news outlets. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this. Uh, Phil and I were actually just talking today. We're thinking that we're going to do a Patreon panel for E3 where we break down all the what's hot and what's not coming out of E3 this year. And that'll happen in a couple of weeks. So our panel will probably be at the end of it. Uh, it'll go up pretty quickly, I imagine. So stay tuned for that. That'll be fun. And so you mentioned Fortnite, Charles. I did. A couple days ago, it was announced that PUBG, also known as Player Unknown Battlegrounds, also known as Loser or Second Place, sues Fortnite <laughs> for. Uh, basically, they're claiming that they, they stole game concepts or copied game concepts and whatnot. And so I don't play either of these games. Is this like Deep Impact and uh, Armageddon? Yep. That's a great, that's a great that analogy. That is a pretty apt reference, yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, so PUBG is a... They're both Battle Royale games, which means that at the beginning of the match, everybody jumps out of planes and they you know they parachute or glide into the map you land, you start with nothing, you have to find your guns, you have to find like bandages and sh- stuff like that. And so you find equipment, you, you, you basically loot buildings in the environment, you loot, you know, you in Fortnite, you harvest trees and, you know, metal and stuff like that. Uh, and you eventually the, the goal is the, the map shrinks as time goes on. There's a big blue zone that will like kill you and it shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And the idea is that you're trying to be the last man standing. You know, um, out of a hundred, yeah, out of a hundred, or your team will be the last team standing. And um, both games have, you know, you can play by yourself, you can play in duos, or you can play in fours. And PUBG came out first, was really popular last year, got a lot of attention, got a lot of people playing it. Um, it was a, a you had to pay to get into the early access of it. Uh, it was like only like twenty bucks though. And then Fortnite was a game developed by Epic that started as a co-op um, mission-based game that was not doing so well because it had a lot of unfavorable anti-consumerist kind of mechanics and stuff. And people were kind of shitting on it collectively until they announced a battle Royale aspect of the game that was free to play. Anybody could jump into and it's much, it's much more better optimized than everything. And it's a little more cartoony in its graphics and everything. And it actually involves dynamic building in the mission as well. Uh, that all of a sudden started eating 
PUBG's launch. Like PUBG was doing really, really well. And then Fortnite comes out with Battle Royale and it just starts crushing, not just PUBG, it's crushing everyone. Like the whole industry right now is looking at Fortnite drooling and crying at the same time. It's all pooling together beneath them. They're the clash of clans when they first came out, and there's nothing right. like it out Ev- there. Everybody in the industry wants the the money that Fortnite is rolling around in right now. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants the money that Fortnite streamers are making, too, from what I hear. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Fortnite's, Fortnite is now... Oh, and that thing, it lends itself to so much humor and memes and just yeah. enjoyability. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. I, yeah. It's a lot of fun to watch people play Fortnite. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So um, the only game I play is Fortnite, and the DLC is Dutch Oven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Fortnite Battle Royale's been out for a few months. Like I said, it's taken over. Uh, it's one of the top streamed games on Twitch right now. Uh, every night when you like, I'm going to look at it right now. I'm going to go to twitch.com and tell you what it is right now on a Thursday evening. Twitch.tv would probably do you better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fortnite right now is the top game with 210,000 players or not players, viewers. So that's 200. That's almost a quarter million people watching. Uh, the next closest is Overwatch with 123,000. So almost double over its and then player unknown battlegrounds is at third with just under a hundred thousand at 97 so this is pretty notable because uh these have also bumped league of legends which was for the longest time was the top streamed game one of the top free-to-play games on the market um it's a big deal so they sued them and most of the industry is laughing and, and fans of the industry and everything are laughing because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a couple elements to this first of all a lot of people are going to argue uh neither PUBG or fortnite have originated the battle royale concept correct and mario kart 64 <laughs> uh star wars battlegrounds even before that yeah. it was you know i mean there's, there's a film shit, right? there's Halo. a film called battle royale a japanese film yeah, yeah. which they also which uh hunger games borrowed heavily from yes exactly yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the if you're if you have no idea what I've talked about so far, Hunger Games is probably the best allegory. It's Hunger Fair Games. Video game. Okay, yeah. and so I can also say that watching I watched Battle Royale when it first came out, but watching it now in light of current events is a much more difficult watch. Mm. I need to go back because I've always liked that film because they're all in school uniforms. It makes it a much more difficult watch. Oh yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I will uh, see that. Oh Jesus! Jesus! <laughs> Uh, so the other funny part about this is PUBG is built on the Unreal Engine, which is a licensed thing. Like you have to mm-hmm. pay a license to the creators of the Unreal Engine to build games on that platform. Do you know who who makes the Unreal Engine? Unreal Tournament makes the Unreal Engine. Uh, well, the company's called Epic Games. Do you know who makes Fortnite? Uh, I'm gonna guess it's Epic Games. Epic Games. So, people have pointed out that it's very possible that PUBG could face a situation where Epic Games is like, "Oh, we're gonna comb through our contract with you and find a way to cancel your license. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna counter sue you." And which PUBG is, is pub gone. Yeah. yeah, and here's uh, here's the stupid part, right? They got a contract. PUBG got a contract with xbox 
in the general public. That's what I represent. It's the general public. It has to be a huge game for me to hear about it, right? I'm not like Clots where I'm plugged into the pulse of everything that sure. comes out. Um, didn't hear about this damn game until Xbox S comes out, right? The newest, best, more powerful, slimmer Xbox, bleh, Xbox X, whatever it is. And it's like, buy it now. Comes to player knows Battlegrounds. Like, I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't care. And then that was the big Christmas push. Is Thanksgiving Christmas? Buy the Xbox One X. It comes with PUBG, PUBG, PUBG. And of course, they skyrocket because everybody's buying the new technology and gets a free game. Which you know these consoles are notorious for not giving you a free game. So hey, free game. Let's buy that shit. And then Fortnite comes out and goes, hey guys, we're free. We're not really going to put TV commercials out, and good luck with that. And then, just stomp the shit out of PUBG. You know? Why? I just, I don't know where PUBG's, I don't know what they want. I mean, everybody's ripping off everybody in the industry. And I can also say that Fortnite's a better name. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And it's just. PUBG you know, sounds like a place you go to get drunk on the weekends. And I actually did hear about Fortnite in its early days in some magazine articles where it, ta- it was talking about the concept of you get a team together, you know, you can build a team, and you build a fort. And def- originally, it was like you build a fort well, and defend that's, it. Yeah, that's Save the World. Yeah. That's the original right. co-op. So that's, I mean, I did Starcraft actually hear about that before that? it came out. What's that? Didn't StarCraft have a similar thing where you have to create resources and go to battle? Yes, and then Dota took that and, yeah. and, and then made their game. And then League of Legends took Dota's code and made their game. And I, I mean, and then Overwatch. Well, okay, came yeah, out. actually, you know, Phil, you're on to something there because well, Heroes of the Storm, I guess, came out. Do- yeah. Dota was originally a mod for Warcraft 3. It was a, a play, you know, a fan made mod called Defense of the Ancients that was built in Warcraft 3. It was really popular, a lot, like for something like that, for a mod. It had, you know, th- tens of thousands of players, which is huge for something that is community driven. That led to the Dota game getting made by Valve. Um, but also, League of Legends basically took the whole template of that whole idea and built the most successful game of all time off of it. And in the same way, you know, PUBG, Fortnite, they're all doing the same thing with each other. They're Because ta- PUBG was originally, the reason it's called PUBG is Player Unknown is the guy who did a DayZ mod for a different game that then became the standalone game, which is now Player Unknown Battlegrounds. And Fortnite is just emulating that successful formula and doing it better, harder, better, faster, stronger. You know what I mean? It's a very similar concept, which is another thing that's going to get pointed out. You know, like when this, the, the other thing is this, uh, this case is going to be in Korea, I guess, in South Korea. And some people have pointed out that the way IP law tends to work in South Korea, this is probably not going to go well for them because here in the States, the originator of a concept generally has a leg up in court proceedings, but over in Asia, Southeast Asia, not so much. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not quite so simple. So this could backfire in a big way. This could literally tank the company that makes PUBG. Which like, is? I forget the name of the company. Yeah, right exactly. Now. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's sad, though, because there's actually um, at least a branch of that studio local, local to me here in upstate New York, near the Albany region. Um, and it's actually the local, there's a local school here that has a newly minted video game design program 
well, it's not actually called a video game design program, but it basically preps people to work in the industry. And that is a place that a lot of those people could look to for internships and opportunities that is going to evaporate if this ends up caving the studio. You know what I mean? So for me, right here in this local area in upstate New York, that could be pretty shitty for a, a burgeoning community here. It's a bummer. Yeah, it's it's it kind is. of a really dumb, it's a horrible PR move and it's a really dumb business move. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially, I think you're right. It's like you're licensing the heart of your game from the company you're suing. Do you really want to do that, man? Just, I don't know. All right. One last Not just the part, dude. Like the whole engine that the game is built on. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not something you can just be like, all right, well, we're going to shut off the servers for a week and fix this. That's like a, we have to rebuild this entire game on a completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So one last thing, I want to give a, a shout out to uh, two of our shows on the network, actually, that came together for quite the, the roasting, as it were, fans of this show. A good friend, Phil Keating here on his show, Botched. Dennis and he, uh, I don't, do you, you help write the, the intros? No, no, yes. you don't write the intros. Uh, the intros come from the fans. And, but y'all do botched and you do a lot of great stuff and y'all write the, the stuff for the giant size team up ads and all that jazz. But Philip and Dennis do the show, a little show called Botched, and it's about D&D. And they get their fans, and actually, Hammond, we're going to ask you to do one at the end of this episode for us, uh, to read the intro to the show. And they play new ones. They try to play new one every time, which is a huge undertaking because they only have like 11. So, but they have 50 episodes. So trying to get a new intro every show is a little tough. It just so happens I stay behind. It's just how my life goes. And I'm listening to a botched episode, and I hear – our good friend Frank from Australia. Hey, hey, this is Cork. Cork here. And he goes on talking about doing a stupid ass Korg impression that he knows I hate because I think it's the dumbest characterization of that character. And then he specifically, this is so fucking deep, man. He fucking trolls me from breaking the panel stuff that I said on another show in the network in their intro. <laughs> and with this Korg stuff. I mean, he specifically calls me out on it. And it was like, genius, guys. It was, it was never saw it coming. It was hilarious. I wanted hey, to man, acknowledge. Hey, that's, man, that's, that's all him. Yeah. You know, I just asked him to, to record two intros. He sent me a normal one. And then he sent that Korg one over. So It was great. And that episode actually was really good, too, the botch stuff. Um, I've, I've caught up to the April Patreon. That's where I am today. It's <laughs> doing the April Patreon. So I'm still behind. But uh, kudos to to you, Frank, for for pulling that out. And uh, go play on the network, everybody. If you listen to all the shows on the network, you're going to start seeing how our dark universe comes together and combines. So there's <laughs> don't give me the disappointed dad looks. So all right, Hammond, sir, where can we find you on the web, sir? Uh, go to jhammondc.com. It's a great place to start. Um, I do a show called Beyond the Playlist uh, with Jay Hammond C. That's been going on now for five years, and I've never missed a week. Most weeks I put out two episodes. Uh, my interview with Yancey Butler of Witchblade fame came out yesterday. Or, yeah, yesterday. And uh, it's uh, uh, it's great. And she's awesome. I do a show called Soundography with Brian Ibbett. Uh, people might know who he is. Yeah, I don't know. He's kind of unknown in the universe. <laughs> there. 
but we give a crash course of music one band at a time. We are covering uh, the singer Fish, who started out with Marillion and then had a solo career uh, this next week. Um, and then I do the Climb Out to Sobriety show with me and three very qualified, smart therapist people. And uh, we try to help people out that way. You're doing the Lord's work over there, sir. What about you, Phil? Where can they find you? Oh, I do a D&D show um, on this network called Botched. We're in the middle of season three and everything's going great. <laughs> you can see that at botchpodcast.com. If you want to see a rambling tweets at 2 a.m. about why the Brian Jonestown massacre is the greatest band of all time, then you can follow me on Twitter at Imaginary Nomad. And more details to come on our movie podcast that we're working on. Clots. I am Soapbox GSTU on Twitter, but I tweet like twice a year. And <laughs> yeah. Um, you can catch me on Thursdays when we stream live on twitch.tv for the FTH Beyond show that I do with this moron over here. And I say moron in the most loving way possible. No, not you, Phil. No. You're not on my show. I don't want to be on your show anyway. Uh, where, show. Which moron are you talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about uh, the epic boss, rock god of pee podcasting, Charles McPhail. <laughs> also known as the thorn in my side that has to be continually corrected and educated on every episode of that show. Uh, we are often joined by, by Kurt and occasionally by Brian Ibbett, who you also don't know of because you don't know who he is, as we've talked about already. Um, this up, uh, we, we rotate that show every other week. Uh, some weeks it's at six o'clock, some weeks it's at nine o'clock Eastern. And that is, uh, you know, so that we can accommodate different audiences and different guests. So catch us there. We have a good time over there. We do. We do. Uh, everything I do is charlesmcfall.com, rockgutterpodcasting.com. Got a lot of great things going on at DragonCon this year. And you can just catch me on the after show sharing secrets that we keep from Chris Wisdom. So that's how you, I roll. Speaking of our brother in arms, he is out in his favorite place in the world, somewhere knee deep in sand, pushing pencils and having fun. So we give a shout out to Chris wherever you are, man. Come home soon. And as for everybody else, we'll see you next week to talk about whatever shenanigans and awesome things happen in the world of comics. Breaking the Panel is the flagship podcast on the Giant Size Team Up Network. You can support the show at patreon.com slash breaking the panel, and you'll find more of our amazing podcasts at giantsizeteamup.com.